Hump Day edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you on a morning following another Toronto Raptor victory as they get it done last night over the Miami Heat. Raptors down for a good chunk of the game. In fact, down by as many as 15. Do not have a lead through quarters one, two, or three. And I believe it was 9-32, 9-14. I'm forgetting now. All the numbers end up getting confused in my brain as per usual. But let's call it nine and a half minutes, basically, left in the ballgame. The Raptors take their first lead of the game, and they don't look back from there. They, they built it up. It got shaved down. It got pared down. It became very close in the final 60 seconds, the final 30 seconds. But the Raptors slammed the door shut on the heat for the second time in three games. And now three games above 500. Playoff-type atmosphere in the sense of the the style of game, the style of play, maybe not the atmosphere as far as the fans, Jonesy, even though there were some fans in the stands, but it was a grind, and yet the Raptors found a way to get it done again. 88-85. Lance, I got a little echo with going with me here. here. Um, But 88-85, Precious Achua, of all people, Mm -hmm. hits the three-pointer to give uh, Toronto the lead. And he turns to the bench, the Miami bench, and said, take that with you. You never let me shoot these last year. Here you go. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> You're bang on. That's every, I don't know if those are the exact words, but he gave a nice little stare down. And, and certainly the reins are off a little bit more in Toronto. Uh, the type of style that Nick Nurse runs. It's 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 funny though, Jonesy. The the system and the style, or at least the system, maybe not the style. The system is similar in terms of player development and expectations and the professionalism and and whatnot. Like the rep of the Raptors, not just from Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and management on down, but certainly the rep for Nick Nurse and the way that the Raptors do things. As you've talked about so many times in the past, and we've talked about the the Miami way the San Antonio way. Well, there is now a Toronto way. So the systems may be different, but the style certainly isn't entirely the same when you compare what Nick Nurse does versus what Eric Spolster does. And that's not saying one is better than the other. It's just, hey, what do you always say about different ways to cook chicken, right? The system might be different, but the the sizzle, the the, the final product is a little bit different. It is. And, And here's the thing that I'll say, Eric. Precious Achua has been given a lot of freedom in the Toronto system. And it took him a while to kind of find his base as to where he would go with it. I mean, it's like a kid who's been inside all the time and he gets let outside and he just starts running across the street and throwing rocks and whatever. It's like, hey, hey, hold on a second. Cross the street at the right time. You know, I sound like a principal here. Snow stays on the ground. Like, there are rules around your freedom. And I think Precious Achua is learning that. And I, I, I think he's becoming more effective. But that was a big shot he hit. And you talked about it. It was a rock fight. It was playoff style like Ron Rothstein told us. It was grinding, um, grimy. And give the Raptors credit. They were down 15, second night of the back-to-back. They'd already beaten this team in triple overtime. It would have been very easy to say, you know what, we're down 15, fold the tent, let's uh, get a little bit of rest for Atlanta, let Nick play the bench, and try to win on Thursday. 
And they're like, no, we're not giving you this. And you tell me how tough and out this Toronto team is going to be, especially as they move to improvement towards the end of the year. I hear you. Very tough. Because they can do it on both ends. They've proven they can score. They've got a lot of different weapons on the offensive end, no doubt about it, and, and, and we'll get to one of those weapons in a second. But on the defensive end, they can grind you as well. They can, they can, they can stop you. Um, I think they're going to be a real tough out. And then we look at the standings now. The Raptors in the eighth seed. They're only a game back of the seventh seed. And I don't anticipate the Brooklyn Nets continuing to struggle the way they are. And listen, they ran into a buzzsaw last night in the 41-9 and Phoenix Suns. But the Nets have now lost five in a row. And don't look now, but the Hornets are only a game and a half back of the Nets, and the Raptors are only two and a half back of the Nets. Now, I still, it called me, listen, I, you can call me dumb, stupid, wrong. I'll take it all. I'll take it all right until game 82. I still don't believe the Cavs, and they continue to prove me wrong. And I'm not taking anything away from them. I am wrong. I'm, I can't say enough. I am wrong. But there's still something about them. I just, I, I'm waiting for a skid. I don't know if it's going to be a three-game skid or a seven-game skid. I'm waiting for them to kind of fall back to earth. Because when I look, I don't know if you agree, Jonesy, I don't see the Bulls having a major drop-off. And here's, here's what, I'm, what I'm saying, major drop-off. Top six. Because obviously we're now, now talking top six in the new NBA. Yeah. That's a locked-in playoff spot. I don't see the Bulls falling out of the top six. I don't see the Sixers or Heat falling out of the top six. I don't see the Bucks falling out of the top six. And when the dust settles 30 games from now, I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are going to be outside of the top six. So if there's one team, one team that I'm eyeballing that might, and I underscore might, and again, I'll say it for the ninth time, they continue to prove me wrong. They continue to make me look like an idiot. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm waiting. Because if none of those other five teams drop and the Cavs don't, then I don't care how hot you are, how well you're playing, whether you're Toronto, Charlotte, Boston, Atlanta, New York, whatever, you're in the playing, period. Because I don't see those other squads dropping out of that top five, top six. Do, do you? Uh, no, I don't. But, but here's the thing I'll say about Cleveland as they continue to surprise, well, surprise you in particular, Eric. Hey, man, they are what they are. And, and you know, the old adage from, from the tuna, Bill Parcells, uh, you are what your record says you are. And they have played and developed a certain style and a certain way to play. And you look at where they are, um, you look at where they are in the standings, and, and, and they believe now. Like nothing fosters belief like winning. And, you know, Ron Rothstein said that to us yesterday. They're, they're winning. They're 11 games above 500. They're, they're two games out of the loss column, a game and a half out of first. So you, I don't think you're going to shake the belief of this team. Where I see a skid for them, Eric, and they may have a, a skid during the regular season here. They, they might, but like, I don't know if they're dropping out of the top six. I don't, I, I don't know if they are. Uh, they're most likely, as you said, to do that, but I'm not sure they will. I see the, the skid coming for them, and if there is uh, a, a rough patch coming, it'll be in the playoffs when it's a seven-game series and a team has an ability to focus on what they do. I don't know if they're built for the playoffs. A team like Miami, a team like Milwaukee, 
like they are built for the playoffs. They are built that if you see these guys uh, seven times over the course of two weeks, they've got other stuff that they can do. They've got experienced players who can figure it out. I'm not so sure that's the case in Cleveland. I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but they always say some teams are built for the playoffs, some teams are built for the regular season, right? The, the Raptor team that won the championship, they were built for the playoffs. They could play multiple people. They could play multiple ways. They had, you know, we looked at it last night, and, and, and Fred made a great point about Gary Trent Jr. when he was talking to us about, about we, were, we were chatting about um, you can't guard Gary Trent Jr. with your, your second or third best player now. And he kind of smiled and said, oh, maybe that opens it up for me a little because he's been drawing the best defender. And now you've got to put your best defender on, on Gary. And you look at a team like Miami that has three guys that I would argue are, I can lock you up in, in Adebayo, uh, Butler, and P.J. Tucker. Not many teams have three guys like that. But that's why Miami's built for the playoffs. That, you know, that's why that Raptor team with, with, with Kawhi and, 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 and Lowry, and like that, they were built for the playoffs. I'm not so sure Cleveland is. But I'm going to tell you something. The right now, the way the Toronto Raptors are playing, if they're able to stay healthy and get a little bit of help so these guys don't wear down too much, who wants to play them? Who wants to play Toronto in the first round? Put your hand up. Chicago, Philly, Miami, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Brooklyn. Who wants to play Toronto in a seven-game series over 10 days? No chance. No, no, two weeks. No chance. Because they are, they are grimy, they are resilient, and there's, it's so much fun, Eric, and we've had these runs before, to cover the team when they're like this, when every night you know they're going to be in a game. Uh, is, is it going to be up and down? Is it going to be 125 points? Or is it going to be 97? It doesn't matter. You, you take the way you want to play, and we'll play that way, and we're going to beat you. Well, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know I feel this way, Jonesy. To your point, I know what to expect in the sense that I think it's going to be a grind either way. And I mean that as a compliment. I don't care yes. if the Phoenix Suns come to town, and I know this is maybe recency bias because they were just here a couple of weeks ago, and yes, the Raptors lost, but it was a grind. But I don't care if it's the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Chicago Bulls, or the Orlando Magic, or the Sacramento Kings. I don't expect the Raptors to lose by 20. And I don't expect them to win by 20. I think they are capable of beating any team in the league right now. And just like any other team in the league, they are capable or susceptible to having an off night and to, to losing to a team that they probably shouldn't lose to. But I, I, I guarantee that if they lose to Orlando on a Tuesday and they see Phoenix on a Wednesday, there's just as good of a chance of them beating the Suns as there was to them losing to the Magic. Because I, I, I fully trust that there aren't going to be a lot of bad spells, a lot of bad games. They're going to correct things. And the way that they play on most nights, the majority of nights, is mm -hmm. so tough on both ends that they're not out of most games. The vast majority, and maybe that speaks to what we've always been talking about for how long now, 10-10-60, 10 that you're just going to win for no matter what reason, it doesn't matter, everything's going your way. 10 that you're going to lose no matter what, everything's not going your way. It's the 60 and in those 60, 
I'm betting on the Raptors to grind you and fight you right to the bitter end every single time. Yeah. Uh, e, our, our, our guy is there. It's, it's Wednesday. Uh, so our man is on the line, Alvin Williams, Wednesdays. And uh, I, I want to hit him with this right away. Al, how you doing, man? What's up, brothers? How are you? I'm good. I want to hit you with this right away because I know I see your team in 2000, 2001, that, the team that lost to Philly at the buzzer. I see a lot of this team comparable to that team. You, you go to the gym every night and you know you have a chance to win, and there's dudes with you that, like I said last night, last night's game was a rock fight. It was a rock fight. It was, it was, it was I grab you. Hey, man, don't grab me. No, I'm going to grab you back at the other end. Man, you hit me. Okay, I'm going to hit you back at the other end. It was a rock fight. It was, they were down 15, and it's like, oh, man, oh, shoot, here we go. we got to climb out of the hole. You guys ready to do whatever it is you need to do? Yep. And you look to your left and you look to your right and down the line and every guy's willing to do it. And Al, it reminded me of that team that you were on with Vince and Oak and Dell and all those vets like, hey, man, no matter what you say, we're not we're not tapping out. We are never giving in. No, this team is definitely like has that mentality, man. It's, it's one of those things where the character of this team, and I mentioned it before, you talk about what, what did Kyle Lowry leave behind, and I think it's the stubbornness. Kyle Lowry individually is a stubborn stubborn individual, but collectively this team, you're not going to tell them what they cannot achieve, that they're going to lose. They're going to fight to the end. And it's two pieces that I've seen through this team. Last night, I saw Preston Detour run through Duncan Robertson's screen like he was a fullback. Tried to set a screen. He ran right through him and went up in his chin and everything. And a few days ago, when they played the Charlotte Hornets, I saw Justin Champagne get back at P.J. Washington when they both got thrown out the game. Now, those were physical plays that people may not look at, but I see a way where we're not standing for no physicality, you're not going to bully us, and we're going to execute, do whatever we need to do to win. So that toughness of the team from individuals and collectively is there as well. Like you talk about that, that past team of 2001, but also collectively – they truly have a stubbornness that they're going to fight. And I heard Eric talking, E talking about it a lot. Every game, they're going to fight, and they're going to give themselves a chance to win. Al, how does that start? How do you build that? How do you get that? I mean, is it personnel and it's just the right people, the right mix? Is it an attitude instilled from one guy and it just eventually, you know, is, is infectious and contagious? Like, how, how do you get that? No, I think, I think it comes down to the character of teams. I believe that, you know, it's, it's the personnel to what you mentioned. And then it's the guys playing for one another. Like, you can have individuals that's tough and tough-minded, but if they don't believe that and they don't want to do it for their teammate, then it's just going to be individual, right? So I think the makeup of the team, and it starts with the coaching staff. It starts with managerial people. It starts with everything collectively. And it's just that culture that's been created in Toronto. Over time, that's just what it's been. And once again, it's the character of the individuals collectively coming together. Al, um, for me, when I, when I look at it and I, I look at, um, you know, as you say, the character of this team and the improvement too, because I, I know guys are playing off their leaders. They're playing off Fred. They're playing off Pascal. They're playing off OG. And, um, you know, you look at Gary Trent now with the five straight games over 30. That changes the landscape. Like Atlanta's coming in here tomorrow night, and 
they're looking at the scouting report differently. Nate McMillan has to plan differently for Gary Trent Jr. You know, that it was thrown out there yesterday. You can't guard him with your third or fourth best player now. You, you, he's got to get more attention. And if that's the case, and you don't have, as I said, Miami had three guys last night in, in Butler, Tucker, and Adebayo, who I would consider, man, these guys can lock you up one-on-one -on -one for, you know, a few possessions here or there. If you don't have enough guys like that, you're going to be in trouble because how do you guard Fred? Uh, how do you guard Pascal? How do you guard Gary Trent Jr.? How do you guard OG now? There's four guys that can really hurt you. you sometimes you don't have enough defenders to go around. No, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, I believe the person that's opening all of that up is Pascal. Because he's the person that's willing to be the facilitator, right? He's the person that's doing a great job of getting his own offense, but more importantly, he's getting other people involved. And that's giving one-on-one opportunities for Gary Trent Jr. That's giving one-on-one opportunities for OG and, and Fred as well. And the thing about it, he has the size. I'm talking about Pascal. He has the size to be able to pass out of double teams. You see, sometimes Freddie gets in a little bit of trouble when – they show him bodies, being able to pass out of there. He gets the ball tip, deflections. But one-on-one, -on -one, he's a monster. Gary Trent Jr., the same thing. OG and Pascal, they're the guys that can draw the double team and kick out and give Fred and, and Gary and others that opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one chances. So those two players, especially Pascal, I think his development and his growth has really elevated this team. Once he got into rhythm, I think this team has taken a big leap. And, you know, the rosters are starting to be more consistent. The lineups are being more consistent. They're getting more minutes. But defensively and offensively, I think his leap is the thing that's really propelling this team overall. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Alvin Williams Wednesdays as the Raptors get the victory last night over the Heat, getting set for their next game coming up on Thursday. In fact, the back-to-back -back Thursday and Friday, four games in five nights for the Raptors. Al, to that point, um, and again, to, to maybe give the preface or to make, make sure that you know in case you haven't heard, both Jonesy and I are cool with it, but one of the things that continues to be talked about, maybe it's more so among the fans, you see a little bit of it in the media and whatnot, four games in five nights, all the dudes you just rhymed off that are playing extremely well, they're logging a lot of minutes. Is that sustainable? Does, does Nick Nurse need to lean on the bench more? Or, you know, you've been there, you've been between the lines. Are you able to? physically, emotionally, mentally, everything, all that. Are you able to crank it up for 35, 40, 45 minutes, four nights a week, and just know that the other 22 hours of the day, it's about rest and rehab and recuperation and just getting your body right? Like, is this sustainable, what's happening right now? No, I think it definitely is. I mean, when you're a player and you have that momentum going and you're playing well and things are coming together – that's the emotional piece, and that's the psychological piece where you just want to play. It's typically when you're not playing well or you're not feeling good that these games start, you know, start wearing down on you. But the team is in a nice rhythm. The players are in a very good rhythm. And I believe you just, you just, you're just motivated to play. I think if you take any of those guys that's lost in a lot of minutes and you cut their minutes back, they're going to be looking like, what the hell is going on? Like, put me in the game, coach. There's no player out there that does not want to play when they're getting minutes, yep. right? And I think – Gary Trent Jr. said it a few games back. This is everything he's asked for. These guys come up wanting to play. Now, we know the landscape of the league now where, you know, uh, the, the minutes and the minutes restriction and uh, everything 
all that stuff. But that's just conversation. The players actually want to play. And if they get a day off, then they get a day off. But these guys are sustainable. And they're conditioned. And I'm not talking about being in shape. I'm, being, I'm saying conditioned to play these type of games, playing with this mentality, playing with this physicality. These guys are built for it. And you see it. You see the result. This is not a fluke. The more they play, the better they are. So, Al, compressed schedule now, as Eric was talking about. Um, and, and, you know, you've, you've talked about how these guys want the minutes. What about some of the guys on the bench? I mean, they're, they're along for the ride right now. They're still working on their games. What's the mentality of some of those guys? Are they just are they waiting for their chance? I mean, they're, like I said, they're along for the ride. They're enjoying it. The team's winning. Uh, you, you, you saw it last night. It didn't matter what happened. Once the Raptors took the lead, the whole bench was up. Even the guys that weren't playing, they were, you know, they're, they're still in it for their team. What can I do if it means I have to get up and cheer, wave my towel, then that's what I'm going to do. But give me the mentality of some of those guys on the bench because I know when the team's going this well and you're a bench player, you don't want to upset the apple cart. But you are waiting for your number to be called to get in there, even for a couple minutes, to help pull the boat, to, to, to row the boat in the right direction. No, you definitely, you're pissed off. You're not playing. You want to be part of the success. Although, you know, everyone says, you know, from 1 through 15, everyone counts. And that's definitely true. That's definitely true. But you want to be in there and play. You want to be in a mix. You want to get your number called. You want to be able to make a big play to help your team win. But at the same time, this is the most challenging piece because – you're not playing, and it's so many games in a week. So you're not playing. So this is when you really have to be a professional. You have to go in that gym. You have to work out. You have to get your reps up. So when your number is called, because you can get rusty, you can fall out of shape during the course of a season if you're not playing because your, your cardio comes in during a game and you don't practice as much. So you're not getting those reps up as a team. So if you're not getting those minutes that you want or you're just riding the bench right now, you really have to take it upon yourself, get a coach, get a few coaches, get some of the teammates. We're going to play three-on-three. We're going to do shots. We're going to go in there with Johnny Lee, and we're going to strip train. And then we're going to be mentally engaged with film and during the game plan. So when my number is called, I'm I'm not missing a beat. And my energy level is up. Psychologically, I'm in tune, and I'm ready to perform. So this this is the challenge for when you're not playing the type of minutes that you want to play. And trust me, I've been there. I've been under the bench at times. But I've always had that work ethic and that understanding that at any time, my number can be called. And the last thing you want to do is go out there and not play from not playing and then not perform well or not follow the scheme or not know what you're supposed to do because you may never get a chance again. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out or, 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 or trying to get you to. I'm more meaning this in a, in a positive sense, I guess. Is there somebody right now, like you mentioned Precious earlier, I, you touched briefly on Champagne. Is there somebody in that second unit that you're – I don't know, hoping to see a little bit more from, assuming opportunity comes? Like, is there somebody that you're, that you're pinpointing saying, this guy could be a, a key or a key component, a key helper to, to, you know, this team continuing on this path? Like, is, is there anybody that you've got or even a couple of guys? You know, I, I really don't because I, I, I truly believe the four people that we've been talking about, of course, and you put Scotty Barnes in there because I, I still believe he's, he's, a, he's going to be a mega star, but – those guys have to play well for the team to do well. I don't think you can rely on the bench. I don't think this is the makeup of the team to rely on the bench and come in and save the team. Now, for, for stints and for moments, yeah, they have to come in there and do their job. But I wouldn't say there's one player that could come in there and I want to see more from. I just want to see the, the current players, the starters, 
and, and the guys that have the most responsibility continue to carry that load, continue to lead. And then when someone else comes in a game, whether it's Justin Champagne, whether it's Banton, whether it's Malachi Flint, whether it's any of these guys, right, these guys just have to be ready to, to star in their role. And I just got finished talking with Vince Carter, and he said one of his transitions from being a superstar to being a role player, he just realized how to star, be a star in his role. And I think whatever the role is, they just have to learn how to be a star in it and then just give the most to their team. So I wouldn't say there was one person. Al, the leadership, you mentioned leadership a minute ago. There was a point in the game uh, last night, and I, I call it the cracking point, when, you know, you're down the whole way, you finally take the lead, and the other team makes a muscle. Uh, you know, Toronto, uh, Toronto had the score at one point. I, I, I think it was uh, like, like 108, 102, and you're thinking, okay, like this, you're ready to, you're ready to, you're ready to put it away now. You're ready to, to just, just kind of nail it down and, and throw the last bit of, bit of dirt on them or whatever the score was. Toronto was up, and, and then Bam took over. I mean, he became mm-hmm. point center. He, I mean, he was, he was guarding people on the defensive end. He was rebounding. He was bringing the ball up. He beat Scotty on one drive and got an elbow up in Scotty's chin. And Scotty kind of, you know, hey ref, you know, he, he got me in the face. And it was like, hey man, this is, this is big man time. You got to play through stuff. And on the next play, Bam beat him again to the basket, and Scotty was upset. And Fred inbounded the ball to Scotty. And I don't know, you remember what you know what I'm talking yep. about, right, Al? Exactly. And I saw yep. it like you, you know you when you play, you see these things. Just that little bit of leadership there from Fred. What do you, what give us through for the people that didn't see it? I have an idea what was said, but take us through that little five second interaction when the ball was inbounded. You could see Fred's face. You could see his hand gestures. What was he telling? What was he telling the kid? What was he saying to, to Scotty Barnes at that point? You remember it, right, Al? I definitely remember right under the baseline when he was taking yep. Freddie was taking the ball out and. And Scotty was trying to get some attention. He was getting blown by. It was a tough matchup for him. He, you know, he just got down on himself for a bit. Now he needed some support. But Freddie pretty much told him, I'm not trying to hear it. Get back. Let's play. But at the same time, it's one of those things from a leader. We need you. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to hear it now. It's okay. Get back, right? Let's, let's, let's get the next one. But we need you as well. So although Scotty was looking for somebody to console or empathize with him, Nobody was trying to hear it. This is big boy time, game time. <laughs> Let's play ball. But it reminds me of Tom Jones and E. I remember my freshman year in college. You know, I always got to tell a story. But I was playing against Andrew DeClerc. He was playing at Florida. He was at Florida yeah. at the time. And we were on the, yeah. loose, on the ground for a loose ball. And this dude punched me in my face. Like, act like he was going. And punched me on purpose. He punched me in my face. And I remember getting up, looking at the ref, acting like I was going after him. He would have kicked my ass. But my point guard, the leader, Jonathan Haynes, he grabbed me and said, hey, man, this is part of it. Get your big boy pants on and let's play ball. Don't worry about it. But he also made me see my value, but he made me keep my cool. But he also told me, welcome to the, welcome to the Big East. Welcome to college. And that's what Freddie was telling him. You're playing against Bam out of an all-star, one of the top guys in this position in this league. Let's get going. And I'm not trying to hear it. Get back. But Freddie's yeah. been a leader to him all the way. It's been a few games he's been yelling at Scotty. And the thing I will say about Scotty, He's responded. That inbound play that he made to OG over the top when they needed that bucket with six seconds left, and it was really just get the ball inbounds. But for him to have that composure to make that type of pass and for that bucket and put the game out of reach, 
that's how he responded. Had a tough couple stints defensively. Freddie got him together, and he made a big play at the end. That's the leadership, and that's the collective effort that I've been talking about with the team. Well, hey, Al, Al, go ahead, John. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in and follow up. On that play, Al, I, I give a lot of credit to Nick Nurse because a lot of coaches shrink in that sense. They're just like they call the play, like let's get it in, we do this and that. Nick not only called the play to get it in, but he gave the option, hey, and if they do this, we're scoring. He cleared it out. He had everybody above the free throw line, and the first move was Gary Trent, the rule I hate, Eric knows it, but Gary Trent running to the backcourt, and that mm-hmm. even further had Miami step away from their own basket, and, and oh man, the ball's going in there. We need the ball. We need to foul whoever gets it, and I was surprised, Al, I don't know if you were, I was surprised that Miami didn't have somebody on the ball. Scotty got a free look, and Eric and I talk about this all the time. When that quarterback has all day to pass, the receivers can't be covered forever. And Scotty right. led OG right. right to the basket there. And now Miami, they, they, they give up time, and they give up a bucket too. Yeah, no no, no doubt about it. And to your point, Nick Nurse, he gets a lot of credit, man. He, I mean, he drew up one play. I never saw it in all my years. The bat, they lined up across out of the half court. Yeah. And yep. Matt Devlin and I, we, we were talking about that was a Sandlot football play. We were like, yep. what the heck play design was that? But, you know, I think, and I've talked to some people in the past when they got an opportunity to coach in the G League, and it was an opportunity for it. They love the coaching opportunity because you can be creative. You can take risks. You can take chances. And, you know, you don't have the same scrutiny that an NBA coach, a head coach. So I think Nick Nurse, like, through all his years of basketball, he's designed a lot of these opportunities. He has the heart and courage and belief. And the biggest thing, the players trust him. I can just tell how the players go out every night and they try to execute. every. As, no matter as, as untraditional as it may look, they go out there and execute. And that's the biggest thing to be an NBA coach, to get your guys to believe in you night in and night out and for seasons upon seasons. So to your point, you've got to give Nick Nurse a lot of credit for just the design of the plays and just the culture of that team. Hey, Al, I, w- I was going to let you go here, but to that point, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking too fluffy at it here. Is it not just fun, too? Like, at the end of the day, you're pro, and you're getting paid well, and you want to win a championship, and, 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 and you want to go out and win every game. But at the same time, I would hope, I would assume, there's still a passion for the game and enjoyment of the game. And, and it's, it's got to be fun to do some different stuff and to catch opponents off guard and to, to kind of have different looks. Like, even going back to the championship, heck, everybody and their uncle talking about boxing one, boxing one. Now it's like a regular occurrence for a lot of teams. I, I would assume, Al, am I wrong, that when you're in a, in a practice in a game or when in a timeout and coach draws something funky up, and even if you think you might be shaking your head at first, when you go execute it and it works and you catch a team off guard, is that not fun? Yeah, it's fun for the people that's playing and if you're winning. If you're not winning and you're not playing, the first the first thing we want to do, and I'll say we, but the first thing an athlete want to do, or at least you want to criticize and say it could have been something, something could have been done different or better. And they can't wait to put that blame on a coach, especially if they're not playing or they're not playing well. But when it starts to equate to wins, that's that's when it does become fun, and that's when it becomes. But you know, athletes today they're a little more open-minded. But, you know, I played with some, we were stubborn guys. So if you didn't draw something up that wasn't going to get us a bucket or we didn't believe in it, yeah, you, you're going to, the coach is going to inherit. Ask Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley will hold that coach. Hey, man, we're not doing that again or whatever. So you only got about one or two times to draw the play up that didn't work. So, and there's times where we would go out and 
you know, you see us in a huddle on the bench and go through the game plan, and then we will huddle up again before we go on the court. That second huddle yeah. means we're not, we're not doing that. Let's do this. No, we ain't doing that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, it no. is fun, but only when you win. Al, I'll say it from my coaching days at the university level. When you're losing, everybody has the answer. And, and that's why yeah. and that's why winning is important. And, and it's true. I've, I've been there at a different level. You break the huddle. You go, man, that stuff ain't going to work. And, and you, you come up with your own play. I, I know it. I've been there. I've been there. And, and then have to walk back to the coach. You've been there too, Al. Walk back to the coach yep. and say, he looks at you and say, what happened? And say, hey. We changed the play. They were they they. We thought that you know. Now you make something up like you lie and go into the vice principal's office. Like, <laughs> but if it works, if it works, you're good. I've been there, Al. I've been there, and you're right. When you're losing, everybody has the answer. And, and you know what's crazy? A lot of times, and I'm coaching high school basketball, and they do the same thing to me. All my experience, the 15 coach, that's not working. And I, you know what I say? All right, do it your way. And a lot of times, their way works because they have a yeah. feel. They know, and they're out there. And it's just so different from watching on the sidelines. We can game plan and prepare all we want as coaches, but that feel of the game, the momentum of the game, and the way a player is feeling, that is nothing to replace that. You can tell when a player is tired or their confidence is low or they feel good. And sometimes being a competitor out there, you get to feel more than anyone else. So a lot of times the players definitely have the right perspective on, on game plans. Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, we will see you down at the uh, at the gym tomorrow as the Raptors get set for their next game, and we will talk to you on the uh, radio next Wednesday. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thank you. I'll see you guys tomorrow. All right, Al. There is Alvin Williams. Alvin Williams Wednesdays. And uh, always love having him on. Like, I mean, Jonesy, I- I'm going to text this to Al after, or if he's still listening right now. He apologized for telling a story. Man, that's what we want. We want the yeah, old stories. Yeah, yeah. We want the. That's the stuff we love to hear. I mean, hearing about Oak and getting off the phone with Vince and Andrew DeClerc in college. That's the stuff I love hearing from Alvin and his experiences and his insight. And uh, certainly great to to have him back on the broadcast and back on the radio with us every single Wednesday. We're going to continue, though, on the Raptors and a whole lot more when Justin Termini from NBA Radio uh, Sirius XM joins us next on Smith & Jones on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Joining us on the line right now, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio, Justin Termini. Justin, thanks again for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, fellas, anytime. Uh, All right, Justin, I I, got to hit you with this off the top. Now, and I say this with with the utmost respect because there's nothing negative about this. You've got 20,000 followers on Twitter. Like, social media is what it is, but I'm talking social media right now. you got 20,000 followers. I, I scroll through your timeline. Most of your tweets, like a couple hundred you know, likes, a couple hundred re- retweets. It's pretty, pretty much like the standards. I, I'm the same. Jonesy's the same. Suddenly you put up something about the Raptors, and you've got like 500 <laughs> retweets and 3,000 likes. Like, I, don't, I, I know you've dipped your toe into the Raptor water before, but maybe it's because it's one team in the country. But you say something about the Raptors, pro or con, the Raptor faithful, the We the North folks, they come out of the woodwork. And I'm going to read it this word for word. This is what you tweeted last night. This is part of the reason. I mean, we've had you on many times in the past. Part of the reason we wanted to have you on today was to talk about what you tweeted. And I'll maybe throw it over to Jonesy because he hammers this point home a ton about many in the, in the, the media, our brethren, 
stateside, south of the border. But you sent out this tweet 12 hours ago. Put the Raptors in Miami and the media would be writing novels about their culture and comparing Nick Nurse to Red Auerbach and Masai Ujiri to Jerry West. Building a winner in a cold-weather foreign country is a lot tougher than convincing free agents to come live on South Beach. I think you hit it right, but there's not many people that see that, Justin, and, and, and that talk about that to the extent that you just did in that tweet. Yeah, no, and I, you know, I think it's true because you know there's other places that have good cultures as well, but they don't get mentioned in that same breath with Miami. And it seems like the media is very lazy because, like, you'll see a guy go down to Miami, you'll see like the head coach or Pat Riley interviewed, and like, there's just the generic question, like, "Oh, tell us about Heat culture." Well, I mean, can you think a little bit and add, you know, ask a more in-depth question, and that doesn't get asked elsewhere. Uh, and maybe Kyle Lowry is a good person to ask about that now that he's experienced both. But I think Toronto's got a great culture as well. It's just you know, they're not benefiting from if they make a mistake, they don't benefit from like, all right, well, Jimmy Butler wants to go there anyway, even though there's no cap space. And we've signed atrocious contracts to Dion Waiters and uh, and uh, Hassan Whiteside. They can recover down in Miami from the mistakes they make because guys want to live there. The guys, I love Toronto. I've been there before, but I think and I think guys once they're there, like Lowry DeRozan, they love it. They don't want to leave, but it's like Portland. Whereas guys love Portland as well, but they don't want to go there. They love it once they're there. Do guys want to deal with the customs? Do they want to deal with the taxes? Do they want to deal with the weather? You don't have to do that in Miami, so they have a massive advantage. Whereas I think Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri are just as good, if not better, than Pat Riley uh, and Eric Spolster. And I'm not saying that Spolster and Riley aren't great, but let's see him do it in Toronto. Let's see him do the same thing in Charlotte or Minnesota or Milwaukee or Oklahoma City or Indiana, some of these other markets around the league. I think they benefit from having the easiest job, whereas I don't think that's the case for Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse, who still do a great job. Justin, I, and, and I will, uh, uh, full disclosure here, I regularly sit and listen to you and Eddie, or, or, as, or as our man Joel Myers used to call you guys, the Bickersons, and I, I love your <laughs> banter, I love your back and forth, and, and I, I love your, your candor, and Eric and I talk about this, and, and you know, as we, we, you know, sometimes people use the broad brush to paint people, the media, or, you know, from, from some groups, well, all men, or, well, all minorities. No, 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 no. Don't use the broad stroke like that. Uh, there are some people, and I give you credit, you, I know you sit there with your league pass and you watch Toronto because I can hear your comments, things like this. And the Raptors do have a culture. They do have a way of doing things with expectations attached. And those are the two, in, a, in the word culture, which is nebulous and tough to be defined in sports, those are the two points for me, a way of doing things with expectations attached. And the Raptors have that. And, and, and when you, you look at uh, what's going on here and, and how it's kind of flying under the radar, how tough and out is this? And I, I listened to you guys yesterday on my drive down. You and Eddie both picked this game to watch for different reasons. Eddie picked it because he was looking at Miami and how they would react and what's going on with them. And I know you wanted to look at what was going on with Toronto. But how tough and out is this Toronto team going to be come playoff time? 
No, I mean, I think they're amazingly tough. I mean, you look at what happened a couple of years ago down in Boston. They took them to seven games, and they fell behind. I believe it was 2 nothing in that series, and they fall all the way back, and it could have been 3 nothing. And then Ananobe hits the shot off the great pass from Kyle Lowry. It's like it's not a team that they fought into, I think, a double overtime a couple of times uh, in that series where I felt Boston was the more talented team, but Nick Nurse got a lot out of them. And I think, like, Nick Nurse is still – top five in regards to like active winning percentage Ty lose maybe a little bit ahead of him and then it's guys like Kerr and Nash and Popovich but if you take out what happened last season which again you know I don't think it's fair to judge him on because you're playing 82 road games or 72 last year and everybody else is home and like that's the other thing with Toronto and you guys could tell me better because you're watching like a lot of the post game stuff where I'd probably switch to another game. But are there any complaints coming out of there about injuries or even last year? Like we're down in Florida. I mean, can you imagine if some of these other teams, can you imagine the Nets uh, with the amount of complaining or the Lakers with acting like they're the only team that's injured? If they had to play 72 road games, how that would be covered by the media in regards to like, and just the excuse making out oh, we're banged up. We're on the road constantly. Like I don't hear that stuff coming out of Toronto. And I, I, I think that's another reason for the culture is that like they bear it down. So I don't think this organization has any excuses, but I guess you would guys would know that better than me because you actually listen to all the comments these guys are making post game. Well, and 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 Justin, I'll, I'll say, and I know you know this, but to to hammer home the point that you just made a little bit more, not only were they gone last year, but they came back this year, and they came back to what they got a chance to have fans for uh, you know six eight weeks. They haven't had fans at their game for almost six weeks now like it's been an empty building and they started the season with fans below 500 at home they've actually gotten better in an empty building so talking about the type of team that they are putting their heads down and just plowing through through injuries through covid through no fans through the protocols here in the province of ontario you know going back and forth with the covid testing canada u.s u.s canada here they are now finally above 500 at home three-game winning streak, three games above 500, and going toe-to-toe with the best of the best over the course of the last month. Like, they, they have been proving themselves time and time again. Yeah, and again, I, I think the last couple of years I called Nick Nurse the best head coach of the sport. Now, uh, full disclosure, I'd probably vote for J.D. Bickerstaff and Taylor Jenkins ahead of him this year, but he'd probably be on my list of three. And Eric Spolster has done a great job. He'd probably be up there as well. But, like, look at the job he's done with Gary Trent Jr. Uh, he comes over, and, I mean, that's, a, that's viewed as an okay trade with Norman Powell. That guy's taken off the last the last five games in particular with, I think, a, a bunch of 30-point games. Uh, and then you look at the development of the other guys. I mean, Van Vliet, to me, is an all-star there. This year Siakam is you know they took him what 27 in the draft he's back to where he was a couple of years ago even though he fell off they drafted him in Nobe uh, in the 20s he's turned into a high-end player they developed uh, you know undrafted player in Chris Boucher uh, so uh, you know they take guys where they they find them and they turn them into a what a top seven or 18 they're better than the Celtics I don't think people envision that at the beginning of the year they're better than the Knicks who everybody wanted to crown after last season they're better than the Hawks who went to the conference finals last year I mean, uh, they've got a better record than the Lakers. They're a game and a half, I think, behind the Nets, uh, who are talking about, oh, we've got the greatest offensive collection of talent in the history of the sport. Uh, and, again, they fly under the radar, but that's kind of where they sit in the standings, despite, I think, and me included, not thinking that they were a contender this year. Yeah, I, I heard you guys talking about that just before I pulled into the arena last night, GT, where you said uh, neither you nor Eddie had the Raptors in, in the top ten, and... 
Um, you know, they're 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 bearing down right now. They're they're going to be in the mix. I, I, I want to jump a little bit to a couple of other teams as we you know kind of stay with the Raptors, but look in the rearview mirror and and specifically the next opponent, the Atlanta Hawks. I think they got caught with the uh well let's just start from the conference finals again the way we did last year i think they got caught not knowing that they had to go back down to the bottom of the mountain and then in in new york was last year's year by julius randall the blip and this is the norm or was last year the norm and this is the blip because when i look at his career as great a year as he had last year that looks like the blip and it looks like he's it's it's midnight and he, he's back to being you know the pumpkin that he was in the five years before that yeah i mean so it's got to be a blip because like you're right there's more track record that says he was uh what he is this year uh than he was last year it's just an amazing it's got to be one of the greatest blips of all time because i think i voted <laughs> for him second team all nba and then also i think the the stat is 25 points 10 rebounds five assists 50 from the field, 40% from three. Him and Bird are the only guys to do it, and Bird did it in 85, the second of his three consecutive MVPs. So it's just like him and Larry Bird. So that's a pretty big blip if you're joining Bird historically. He's the only guys to do something. Uh, but, uh, like, I'm not even sure. Maybe it's, like, just a conditional thing. Maybe it's a blip where he is. Because, I mean, I've been, I've been in the New York area where I was for 20 years, and I lived there basically my entire life. So for 40 years, now I'm out in L.A., but there have been, like, Yankee pitchers, right? Like Ed Whitston, if you're familiar, Kenny Rogers, yeah. who were dominant yeah. in other areas, Kevin Brown. They came to New York. They couldn't handle the pressure. And, like, this guy's not meeting with the media. He's lashing out at fans. He's getting fans kicked out of games for saying things that aren't even, uh, you know, nothing like what happened with Carmelo Anthony the other day where it maybe had something to do with race. This is just a criticism of his game. So, like, it seems like he's melting down in that environment. So maybe if he's moved elsewhere, he can handle it. But, uh, yeah, I would lean with you to, towards Blit. Hey, Justin, let me kind of bring this back to the Raptors, sort of, in talking about the Knicks. Because the one thing that um, – and listen, I'm, I admit to you, I'm being nitpicky to some extent. The one thing I didn't like about what you tweeted was when, you know, the, the cold weather and whatever. I look at an NBA map, and you know the geography, too. You just talked about living in New York for 40 years. The weather is as bad or worse, or at least not any worse in Toronto, than Boston, New York, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, uh, Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, Indiana, Milwaukee, Minnesota. Like, half the league, basically, is in the northeast, is in the cold, is in the snow and whatnot. But when you factor in, like, high taxes in New York, high taxes in Toronto, high taxes in L.A., no state tax in Florida or Texas, whatever, there are a bunch of teams that have a major competitive advantage over others just based on geography, based on the tax situation in that said state. I don't think it's that much worse in Canada than many other places. And let's use New York as the example. We were talking yesterday to Howard Beck about this. We were surprised, all of us, including here in Toronto, that the Knicks didn't make a greater play for Fred Van Vliet. So whether it's Van Vliet, whether it's a superstar, to the point you were just making, how tough is it going to be on the Knicks? High taxes, weather, media, pressure, spotlight, New York, the history of the Knicks, MSG, all of that thrown into a pot and now go try and you know, acquire that free agent, that, that, that savior that's going to come and bring the Knicks back to their glory. 
Yeah, and, and by the way, a couple of weeks ago, I did address the Van Vliet thing where I said, you know, the Knicks didn't want to pay him. He'd be the best Nick this year. He'd be the best player on that team, so that's long. Secondly, I think, like, and I, I didn't mean to, like, single out Toronto in that way. Like, I feel the same way about Toronto as I do Minnesota, Milwaukee, uh, et cetera, where they're at a massive competitive disadvantage. Like, imagine the guys around the league that would want to go play with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, with uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo if he was playing in L.A. Guys would be flocking there. Miami, other warm warm markets, other big markets. Uh, the same thing with Fred. I bring this up with the Raptors all the time. It's like if they had the same structure, you think Kawhi Leonard's leaving Miami? Like you think Kawhi Leonard's leaving, you know, winning a championship and then going, you know what? See you later. I'm taking off. No, Kawhi Leonard's staying there. Right. So he left, he didn't, he left because he was uh, looking at weather as maybe more important than actually winning. But I think New York's the one cold weather market that, that can overcome that. Like, you know, Boston's a big market. Philadelphia's got like a historic sports town, but guys don't want to go play there. I think that the, you know, Cleveland, same thing. I mean, that's an awesome sports town. You'd think guys would want to play there. Certainly, they're more passionate, in my estimation, than they are in places like Miami or even like with the Clippers. Uh, but um, you know, I think all these cold markets are at a disadvantage. Maybe there's three or four that that benefit. I mean, it's Miami that benefits. It's uh, uh, it's the LA teams, and then you know, maybe it's New York. I mean. Chicago's a huge market. Jordan played there. These guys grew up rushing up. I don't see guys rushing to go play in, in Chicago. So I think the one cold weather market that, that uh, you know, is okay and can avoid that are places like Brooklyn and, and New York. Everybody else, even the Bostons of the world, the Chicago's, uh, still are at a disadvantage, just like Toronto. Yep, I hear you. Justin, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks for having me on, fellas. Justin Termini, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio. And, Jonesy, that's something we've discussed for years. Like, even listening to Justin say it, it's just kind of hammering home, like, I don't know, I don't want to sound arrogant, but how right we are. Because, really, yeah, are, are the Clippers, like, I guess they're a bit more of a destination the last couple of years with Kawhi. But, really, you could make the argument, it's two teams. Maybe? Miami and, and the Lakers? Because even Orlando, Orlando's in Florida. Orlando, no state hey. tax. Nobody's flocking to go to the Magic. Free agents go to, like, three places, and and that's it. Like, free agents don't go. They don't go to Washington or Indiana, or they don't go to Denver. They, they, they don't go to, you know, they don't go to Memphis. They don't go to Utah. The free agents go, like, two or three places. That's it. They're so not even going all to this Phoenix. Stuff, like, I mean, so. all this, I know people, oh, they never get any free agents. Who does? Who does? Yeah. The Lakers? The Heat. That's it. Pretty much. Pretty much. All right. The music's going to route out in a second unless the DJ fires it okay. back up for a second. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, the DJ's leaving me dry. That's all right. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well.